make their way to the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. That's where we're going to pick up this morning. Habakkuk chapter 1. I'm there. Do I get the $10? (laughs) Some of y'all are cheating. Habakkuk. um, It's page 876 in my Bible. I don't know if that's going to help you. Probably not. All right. The book of Habakkuk. All right, y'all made your way there. Stand with me. We're going to read the first four verses, but we're going to cover chapter 1 today, um, chapter 2 next week, and then we'll cover chapter 3 as well. And so we're going to take one chapter per week and study this minor prophet. Now, he's just considered a minor prophet because it's a short book. His, his message is anything but minor. In fact, uh, you could say Habakkuk is a minor prophet with a major message. All right, so let's look at chapter 1, the first four verses. The oracle, the vision that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why would you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. But Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts that we might understand it from your point of view, Father. Lord, speak to us right where we are today, Father. Lord, would you minister? Don't only in Jesus' name. Lord, do it for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, you guys go ahead and be seated. All right, so here's here's Prophet Habakkuk. And let me set the stage for what Habakkuk is dealing with by trying to get us to understand what's going on in our culture. Just out of curiosity, have have any of you in, say, within the past six months kind of sat back and thought something like this? Man, what in the world is going on in our world? Anybody ever had, had thoughts like that? It seems like more and more every single day we hear something like that. Those claims are not without merit. And so here's what I did this week. Just in my research, I went back and just tried to to document some of the things that have happened on a world stage in the past six months. So here's here's what I found in my research. On Wednesday, this past Wednesday, 12 people were killed and dozens more were injured when gunmen and suicide bombers attacked the Iranian parliament. That happened Wednesday. Saturday, last Saturday, not yesterday, Saturday was a week ago, eight people were killed as terrorists drove a van into pedestrians on a London bridge And then three men exited the van and began stabbing people. Eight died, 50 were injured. Eight days ago. 22, on on May the 22nd, so that's just a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, 22 people were killed outside of a concert in England by suicide bombers. April the 7th, five died as a result when a truck veered into a crowd in Sweden. April the 3rd, 12 were killed in Russia by a suicide bomber. 
March the 22nd. Five died in London on the Westminster Bridge attack. And I didn't even go into Iran, Russia, and China and the, and the problems they can cause on a global scale. Our world's messed up. Now, everything I just quoted, that, that all came on, an, on, a, on a world scale. You say, well, what about America? Oh, we're just as messed up. We're just as messed up. From the FBI database in, in 2016, 15,696 people were murdered in the United States of America. There were over 90,000 rapes documented by the FBI in 2016. And we, we're not even diving into issues like disease, like cancer and, and AIDS and things like that. We aren't diving into abortion. We aren't diving into suicides. And if you were to just wrap your mind around all of that and you were to think about that, you would realize, man, America, we're in a dark and depressing culture too. Our nation is messed up. And you know what happens when the nation is messed up? They begin to look to the church. Is, is there any hell? Can, can we get somebody that's going to help us for, for all of the wickedness and the violence that we see? There's a problem. It's like the church in America has gone into a, a fight with a bully, and the, and the bully has, has really done a number. He has worked the church over. I read just a couple of weeks ago, I mean, and all this is current, okay? I'm not trying to date statistics from 30 to 50 years ago. I read just within the past two weeks, somebody in Conway, South Carolina, right outside of Morris, where I grew up, the pastor was arrested for burning his church down, trying to collect the insurance money. And, and the world looks at that, and what do you think they see? That the church is corrupt. That happened just this past week, okay? Let's talk about those that, that some of us watch on TV. You know, you have these, these people who are so-called men of God that will stand up in our pulpits and say, hey, if, if you're in financial bondage, would you send us $100 even if you have to put it on a credit card so that God will bless you and get you out of debt? And we fall prey to those things. And the world looks at that and, say, and says, there, there, there's no hope that, that you look at the church. Just this past month, okay, so I'm talking in May, Gallup, the research company, they, re, they, they released these stats, and we have the lowest percentage of people that believe that the Bible is the literal word of God in the past 40 years. 24% of those they researched said that they believe that the Bible is the literal word of God, that you can take it literally. 26% even believe that was fairy tale. 47% said they believe that the Bible was a holy document, that it contained parts of the word of God, but it wasn't completely the word of God. And so here's what that means. Uh, that means that over half, and that, that means that there's probably at least 30 to 40% of you in this room this morning. They would believe that the Bible is a, is a holy book, but you have to figure out what parts are holy and which parts are, are not. And that puts you in, a, in really the horns of a dilemma. Because at that point, who determines what God's Word is and what's not? You do. And my friend, that is a precarious situation for you to be in, for you to try to figure out what God said and what God has not said. And if you want to know my honest opinion... You make yourself God in that situation, and that's not a place where you need to be. You submit under him, not above him. 
this just this past week, Southern Baptist Convention, which we're a part of, released its stats for this past week. We've had the lowest number of baptisms since 1946, lowest number of memberships since 1990. When I read when I read 1990, I think like 10 years ago. 1990 is like 30 years ago. Y'all realize that time has flown by. Okay. So we've had the lowest number of memberships since 1990, lowest worship attendance since 1996. And so here's here, our world's falling apart. Our nation's falling apart. Say, church, is there is there an answer? Can we get some help? Man, church is falling apart. If you want to know the truth, we must step forward. We're falling apart. Not physically, although we are. Some of you can feel that. Depression's at an all-time high. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm not saying that to, to those who are struggling with it. I, I know it's a very, very real issue that we struggle with, but it's at an all-time high. Families are being torn apart inside and outside the church. Marriages are falling apart inside and outside the church. We, we are a people that we're messed up. Suicide. Seriously, at, at an all-time high. We, we no longer know how to deal with the problems that we're facing. And so everywhere we turn, we see things that are messed up. And here's what's happening. Some of you can relate to this. We pray. God sent peace to our world. Lord, bring peace to our nation. We prayed. We've asked God, Lord, send revival to our churches. We prayed, Lord. Take the pain away. Take our depression away. We pray. We beg God for healing in our loved ones. We're honest, and I'm the pastor. We're honest. We prayed and things have got to be better. We prayed and we begged, and things have not gotten any better. We, we say, God, where are you in the midst of all of this, all of this darkness and all of this evil? God, what are you doing? God, I, I thought you said that, that you would take care of us. God, why don't you heal the one that I'm praying for? I pray those prayers have We have. It seems like God's not answering. That's where Habakkuk took all of that time to, to paint this picture of our current culture to get you to realize that's exactly what Habakkuk I really, guys, I don't know of a, of a more timely message to to us than the prophet Habakkuk. I mean, it, it speaks to exactly what we deal with in our culture right where we are. And so notice how Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, it's not so much of as a, as a prophecy of, of here's what's happening. The book of Habakkuk is a dialogue, a conversation, a prayer between Habakkuk and the Lord. It's almost like it's an argument that's going back and forth. And so Habakkuk's going to talk in verses 2 through 4. God's going to respond in verses 5 through 11. Habakkuk's going to speak again in verse 12. And it's going to go that way throughout the rest of the chapter. So you get to chapter, I mean, the rest of the book. And so you get to chapter 1, verse 2, Habakkuk begins to pray. Lord, how, how long do I have to cry out? I mean, this is us. Lord, how long do I have to pray? I, I look out at my country and there's violence. I look out... In my city, and there's violence. People are dying. So, Father, would you come and would you bring justice? To, there's iniquity. There's sexual immorality all around. And, and Father, how can you put up with such wickedness? America, anyone? I mean, this is not a 
second, this is a miracle. Wow. The law, what Habakkuk says, is paralyzed. The legal system uh, continues to allow this wickedness to happen. Justice is what, what he says in verse 4. Justice is perverted. Our laws are not helping anything. I mean, I mean, you, you realize we celebrate the fact that an egg and a woman can be destroyed and that you could be imprisoned if you destroyed the egg of an eagle. And Habakkuk says the law is perverted in our time. It's twisted. And Habakkuk says, Lord, how long are you going to idly sit by and allow this to happen? Won't you come, come down and, and do something? Man, that's what we pray, Junior. That, that's what we beg for. God, and Habakkuk is asking this, Lord, come down and do something. How long do we have to endure such horrendous acts? How long before you bring justice to these wicked people? Then you get to verse 5, and Habakkuk answers, or God answers. It's going to be on the screen. Look among the nations and see and wander and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. Man, that's what we want to hear right there. God's finally answering. God says, hey, Habakkuk, I'm about to do something in your midst that even if I tell you, you're not going to believe it. And so we get, we get this happy dance going on. Hey, our God, he's getting ready to do something. I don't know exactly what he's getting ready to do, but he said he's getting, he's getting ready to do something. I'm not even going to be able to, to believe it. It's going to be so great. There's just one problem. God says it's getting ready to get a lot worse back than what it looks like. But you see Habakkuk, what he says here, I'm getting ready to raise up the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians. I'm getting ready to raise up the Babylonians, and they're getting ready to take you into captivity. In a nutshell, God says, hey, hey, Habakkuk, it's getting ready to get worse. It's getting ready to get way, way worse. And so Habakkuk is praying, Lord, I, wanted, I want you to act. I want you to do something. And God says, I'm getting ready to do something. You're not going to like what I'm getting ready to do. I'm getting ready to bring judgment on the nations. Verse 6, it, it it says, I'm raising up the, the, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation. So, one scholar said that word bitter there in verse 6 says it pictures the savagery of a wild animal that will attack anything. Back in, in chapter 1, verse 3, Habakkuk is praying there to the Lord. He's saying, Lord, I see destruction and I see violence. They're, they're always before me. Then you get down to verse 9 and it's almost like God is saying, if you think you've seen violence, you just wait for the Babylonians to come. Because they come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. And so God is going to give Judah a large dose of its own medicine, medicine as a means of discipline and correction. So Habakkuk prays, Lord, do God, we're dealing with all this wickedness and all this sin in our land. Lord, how long are you going to sit idly by? God says, I'm getting ready to do something. You're not even going to understand it. You're getting ready to be captured. And so he goes back to Habakkuk in verse 12. What? I mean, you, you can write W-H-A-T at the top of verse 12. Habakkuk's like, what? Uh, you're getting ready to do what? Are you not from everlasting? Are you not eternal? Now notice what he says. Oh, Lord, my God, my holy one. Lord, you are evil. I mean, Lord, you are pure, and you cannot look on evil. How in the world can you 
raise up someone who is worse than we are and use them to take us captive. That's what he says at the end of verse 13. When the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he is. He says, Lord, how are you going to use a people that are more wicked than we are and use them to bring judgment and captivity on us? You know what Habakkuk is doing? He's trying to reconcile in his mind how a God that he has believed in with the word that God had been given. Now, I want you to catch this. Habakkuk never doubts God. In, in the midst of a, of a terrible vision, Habakkuk never says, you know what? I'm not sure I believe in you anymore. I think in the midst of this, I think I'll just turn and I'll follow some other God. I'll go the way of the world. He never does. You know what he does? He tries to reconcile. He, de- he dives deeper into his faith. He digs. Lord, I'm not sure I understand it. Lord, Lord, I don't understand. How, how can I reconcile you and your holiness and your justice and your purity when you're going to bring such atrocities on your people? He tries to use this opportunity as a grow, to grow in his faith. Then you get to chapter 2, verse 1. That's the only verse we're going to look at in chapter 2. He says, I'm going to take my stand on the watchtower. In other words, I'm going to station myself at the tower. I'm going to look out and I'm going to see. Lord, I'm just going to, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to chill just for a minute. See how you're going to work this out. Lord, I don't understand it. I, it doesn't make sense to me. Lord, if, if it doesn't make sense with you on my side, Habakkuk says, I know it's not going to make sense if I don't have you on my side. So I'm going to sit. I'm going to watch. And I will see what you're going to do. You see, that's what we do in life. We don't turn. We don't doubt God. We ask questions. We probe God. Lord, uh, this doesn't make sense to me. Uh, help me to understand. Help me to, to try to reconcile. So here's what I want to do in the remainder of my time. I want to look at this interaction between Habakkuk and, and God in the first, chap- the first chapter here and share with you three things that we learn about God in the midst of this. So if you've got your bulletin, there's a little handy dandy outline. Here's the first thing we learn. You can write it down. You can write it in the sky. History is under God's control. This is not the first time in the scriptures that God has used a pagan people to bring about his plan and his purpose. If you were to go back and look in Isaiah, God raised up a pagan king by the name of Cyrus even called him as a, his anointed one or his shepherd and used him to bring or free his people from bondage. You go and you look in Revelation. God is going to raise up an antichrist and use him in a bad way to bring about his good purpose. And throughout history, human history, we see it recorded for us in the scriptures that God can take those who are against him and use him for his purposes. History is always under the control of God. One of the things I hope that you get from today is that you realize that your Bible is more than just a book of salvation. Now, to be sure, this book that we that I hold in my hand, I believe it, I, I'm, one, I'm in that 24%, okay? I believe it's the literal word of God. 
It contains a message that will tell us how we can have a relationship with our Savior. It, it, it has a message of salvation within it, but it also has a lot more that is within it. Now, if you just read like a psalm here and there, or if you just read your favorite gospel here and there, you, you're not going to understand it. But if you take time and you dive into the Scriptures and you study the Scriptures, you begin to understand that the Scriptures say a lot to us about history. We, we, and we understand that God is concerned an awful lot about history. He's, under, he's, he's concerned about the world. He's concerned about this plan that He has to bring about His purpose. God is in control of history. Now, here's, here's a question that we oftentimes get, or I, I get sometimes, but I, I read about it on, on certain occasions. Uh, people will ask something like this. Well, Pastor, where does America stand on the historical scale in judgment? Where does America fit in? Well, let me be the first to say, I don't really know. Okay? That, that's my answer. I don't know where America Go ask David Jeremiah. He's, 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 he's much more knowledgeable. Than that. But here's what I do know. We are fooling ourselves if we think America is immune from the judgment. We, we are falling into dangerous territory when we say, well, America is just a Christian nation. God would never judge us. You've never read your Bible. God oftentimes will bring judgment to his people when they get outside of his will. Not as a means to say, hey, you know, wake up. Well, maybe it is that way. But it's not as a, as a means to just kick us out. He always brings judgment. Bring it back. Right? That's, when, that's why you thank Bob and Chip when they were children. Right? Because you wanted them to do the right thing. That's what the judgment of God is. History is under his control. And, and when his people who are called by his name get outside of the, the purview of what he wants through their lives, he will bring destruction because he loves you to get you back to a straight and narrow way. History is always under his control. Number two, history always follows a divine plan. Now this is good right here. So pay attention. You know what we do in life that makes sense to us? We, we take a microphone we zero in to this pinhead of eternity. Say, Lord, I just don't understand what you're doing. And all we focus on is exactly what is happening in that moment in our specific situation. God has a divine plan that is telescopic. It's huge. It stretches from uh, from Genesis in the very beginning, even before that, all the way to the end of time when he establishes a new kingdom, when there's a new heaven and a new earth. And you cannot, when you, when you think about what's going on in your life, you cannot separate what's going on in your life with, with what God is doing on an eternal, global scale. His plan, he has a plan. He, he is, in fact, you can look at Hebrews uh, chapter 1 where it speaks of him uh, where he upholds the, uh, the world by the word of his power. It gives, you the, it gives you a visual picture there that he's got a plan that he's carrying the world to a specific point in time. And the picture that we know as we read the scriptures is that he's carrying the world to a specific time 
where Jesus is going to return and set up a new kingdom, a new heaven, and a new earth. You say, well, what? how in the world does that help me? Well, if you keep that in mind, it will help you in those moments when you feel like God is a million miles away. If you think that you're made for this life only, your world will fall apart when tragedy strikes. But if you realize that God has created you for eternity, if you realize that God has a plan that there's going to be something good that's, that's, that's going to turn out for you in eternity, and you'll hold on to a great hope that will be a rock for your faith to stand upon in troubled times. And we see all this evil happening around us. We face depression. When we have negative thoughts, our world is falling apart. Lord, in, in this pinhole of in eternity, Lord, I don't realize, I don't see what you're doing. I see death, I see destruction. I, Lord, I can't see it, so Lord, help me to see it from an eternal perspective. Lord, I trust, I'm setting myself up on a tower, on a watch post, I'm watching. Lord, I know that you're going to do something that I can't even imagine. Number three. Finally, we learned that God always brings salvation. Judah's getting ready to be captured. It's going to be destroyed. Judgment will come. So will salvation. They would return to Babylon. That's where we get Nehemiah. It's going to return. There would be a there would be a revival, even if it's a short one. That would happen. God would use it to bring about his now, it's interesting, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, it's quoted by Paul when he is preaching to uh, the church at Antioch in Pisidia uh, in Acts chapter 13, uh, in Acts chapter 13, verse 41, he quotes Habakkuk here, chapter 1, verse 5. As he's preaching, he gets the, the chapter, uh, he gets verse 27 in, in Acts chapter 13. Here's what he says. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, speaking of Jesus, and or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found no guilt in him worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. Y'all remember Jesus told the story, the parable of uh, the man who had a vineyard? The man had a vineyard in another town, and he put workers there to work it. And he began, to, when it was time to harvest, he began to send people, hey, you know, go, go collect my part of the vineyard. And they began to steal. And lastly, he says, well, if they didn't respect them, I'll send my son. To be sure, they'll respect my son. But when the son came, they said, well, he's the heir. Let's take him and we'll kill him. And then he won't have anything. And Jesus said, that, that's the picture of what's happening in history. God, throughout the ages, has, has sent the prophets to come and proclaim his message. And throughout history, you can look that, that many of the prophets were killed for proclaiming the truth of what God said. And then you get into the New Testament. It's when, G, when God sent his son with the message of salvation, repent and be baptized. They treated him just like they treated the prophets. They took They hired some no-good, worthless people that didn't 
really care one way or the other about what was going on. And they hired them to tell lies on your Savior that Jesus had cursed the king. And they convinced the Romans to take the one pure Lamb of God and to crucify him on a cross. And so they took spikes and they nailed his hands and they nailed his feet and they hoisted him up till he eventually drowned his own blood. And they took him down from that cross and they put him in a tomb. And you can imagine the scene on a spiritual on a spiritual scale, Sam, as Satan had thought he had won. The religious leaders thought they had seen the end of our Savior. But God was working a plan out of destruction that was that would bring salvation out of destruction. And so his body lay there Friday and Saturday, but that first Easter Sunday morning, Sam, an angel came back. They rolled a stone away not to let Jesus out, but just let everybody else know that their Savior had been resurrected. And for 40 days, he walked and said, Look, they killed me, but now I'm alive. And then he was ascended to the Father 40 days later and sent his Spirit and commissioned us to go into all the world to let people know that when you're in a moment of destruction, that we've got a Savior that can bring salvation out of destruction. He can bring justice out of injustice. He can work miracles in your situation. And so, come to happen. If you find yourself here this morning, you're in a place of destruction. You're in a place of injustice. You feel like your world's caving in. You feel like your world's falling apart. We serve a God that can do the mighty in the midst of your terror. That's what I'm Back in the 1930s and 40s, there was a a great preacher. He was a Presbyterian preacher. He pastored up in Philadelphia. Um, Donald Gray Barnhouse, you may have heard his name. He was doing a series of revival meetings in England, in in Europe, in the 1930s, 1939. September 1930. Specifically, he was to be in this specific church September the 3rd, 1939. You historians will know that September the 1st, 1939, World War II. If you lived in Europe at that time, you were a young man. That meant something. You were getting ready to go to war. So, Donald Gray Barnhouse, he barely made it to his destination preach that Sunday morning. In fact, he didn't get in until 3 a.m. that morning because as he was riding the train, the train would oftentimes have to stop to let the young men going to war home to give it his first time. So if they got there at 3 a.m. the next morning, or the Sunday morning that he stood to preach, that he was going to have a chance to preach, he met some of the leaders there of the church. They said something like, We hope that the word from God. Because there's going to be a lot of young men in the service of the Lord. They might be the last time 
going to be famous. And they're going to have these young men go off. down and he prayed and he got him a word from the Lord. God led him to Matthew chapter 24 verse 6. You will hear wars, rumors of wars. But see that you are not alone. See going to hear about this war. See the children. You see, there's a Lamb of God. Though you might die, yet you shall. And in the midst of your war, Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. First of all, someone here, Lord, may never trust in Jesus for their salvation. God, today, in just a moment, as we stand and sing a hymn of invitation, Lord, I pray. Lord, if there's anybody that can hear me, Lord, today, that never trusted in Jesus, that they would realize today, Lord, that He died on that resurrected because he loves you. Today, would you come? Take me by the hand we stand here right now in front of the pastor today would like to give my life to you. Lord, I pray for the people who, Lord, they, they love you and they serve you, and Lord, they're kind of like the back. Lord, come do something for me. My world's falling apart. God, today, would you take our stand and just crush Realize you've got a plan that is far greater than anything our hearts can imagine. Lord, would you move today with 